Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Michelle Nyhouse. Michelle, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for coming back. And I've been curious, you're, what you did was slightly different than what many other people do and more personal. And well, I, I'm very curious about it. And uh, do you mind if we jump into it? Sure. But um, well, now I'm wondering how it's different from what most people do. Yeah, I was going to start saying that. And then I thought, well, yeah. I should um, let you put you first. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because uh, usually before we talk about what it is, I like to go back to what when I asked what the environment meant to you, and uh, do you remember what you said, what, what you thought about, what you think about when you think about the environment? I remember I talked about my neighborhood. Um, I remember I talked about feeling calm uh, in my neighborhood, uh, feeling a sense of peace, uh, perspective, I think. Okay. Shade, that was important. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I like to come back to where the motivation comes from, because I think that's more that's the foundation of, of what comes next. And if we just focus on what people do, then I think the meaning and purpose sometimes will come out, usually will come out, but not always. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that can, I want to make sure that that connection is there. I think that's an important part of uh, leading through intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you remember what you committed to, what you said you were going to do? <laughs> I do. I do. So I was, um, I was about to head off on vacation on a an urban bike adventure in Vancouver, BC, and I committed to uh, stop scrolling uh, during my vacation. I would I would occasionally be online, whether it was to you know listen to an audiobook while I was driving or something like that. But I would um, I would not be idly sitting around uh, looking at Twitter or reading my email. So what was, what was different about it was that a lot of people think of more like, I'm going to do something to affect the outside world. Mm-hmm. And this was more personal. And on the face of it, less, like it's not that big of a change. Like you're not trying to fix anything. No. But I think one of the things that is why I do the show and what motivates me or this, this strategy, this, this tactic is that uh, I think that's, not that an important thing of like how big it is at the beginning of, mm-hmm. and that's what, so I'm curious how it went. Yeah. And um, before I tell you how it, how it went, I'll just say that to me, I mean, I'm an environmental journalist. I write about environmental problems all the time. So I uh, am always thinking about, you know, whether I can make things better and if so, how. Um, and so I think for me, it, this was a way of, of thinking it was a way of testing whether um, doing something very personal, doing something to kind of change my internal weather and my personal experience of the outdoors um, would, would affect my, you know, perceived ability to make things a little better on a, on a um, you know, on a larger scale. So I will say that it was it was actually quite easy mm-hmm. and it was very positive and I did not find it difficult to give up um mostly because we were you know we were on vacation there were lots of distractions it was very easy you know there were not many points when I was sitting around um 
idle, you know, times when I was very likely to, to start looking at the news. And uh, I found it did improve my internal weather quite a bit. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking quite as much about, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm preoccupied often with what's happening in our world and often with some of the bad things, but I was less preoccupied with, I guess, some of the nonsense, you know, some of the daily up and ups and downs of the news cycle that I tend to get overly attached to. Uh, uh, certainly it was great not to know about, you know, the latest Twitter battle between whoever and whoever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know if it, if it has any more significant effects than that, but I'm glad you did it. I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, you, of all of, of my many guests, you know, a lot of them have no environmental experience. They're leaders in other areas and they don't really think about sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think in your case, if I were to ask you, what's something big that you could do? What's an important thing you could do? I, I bet you could rattle off more things of, well, I'm not sure what you could do, but like, what are the biggest things people could do? You'd probably know right. what have the big, what have the biggest effects. And probably most, yeah. where on that list would be scroll less? <laughs> well, I think it would be the, yeah. I think it's more of a, it's like a personal sustainability thing, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's how can I sustain myself and my own resources, my own, you know, intangible resources uh, for doing, for doing things. Um, you know, it would be easy, I think, and, and maybe more significant, more directly significant for the environment for me to say, oh, well, I'm going to go get an electric car, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, I hope to be able to afford to do. Especially if the, uh, especially if the new climate bill passes. Um, but, you know, yeah, it would be, it would be easy for me to think about all kinds of things I could do on a personal level or that I could, you know, contribute to other people's efforts. But, but this one was just, you know, something I might not try otherwise. How now you might feel some motivation to say it went well because you're on a podcast and you, you want to sound like, Oh, I did something. How much, I mean, does that affect? Was it really a big deal? I mean, you said it was very, I forget the words you used. Um, it was easy. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it was, I, it was a positive thing. I wouldn't say it radically, it radically, you know, reworked my world, which is maybe, you know, because I wasn't like, I mean, it's something I want to stop doing, but it's not something that was, you know, uh, I wouldn't call myself, you know, it wasn't a huge huge problem for me. It wasn't a dominant problem for me. It was just a, a habit that I felt like I had acquired and wanted to, um, wanted to ease off of. So, uh, so it was not a real struggle to give up and it was not a transformative experience, but you know, it was making the resolution and knowing I was going to come back and talk to you about it. It was certainly, um, certainly helped. And what was, what was the emotional experience of it? Mm. Um, and not not only like not scrolling, but maybe when you committed to it, like the whole thing up until now. Okay, I would say it's a, it was just a little, I don't know, a little awkward, a little embarrassing to try and think of something, especially think of something on the fly, and and the sort of well, think of something that I wouldn't do otherwise because these are issues I already care about quite a bit. Um, so it was hard to. I think a little bit hard for me to get into the the spirit of the thing, which I, which I certainly agree with, but, you know, I found myself sort of jumping ahead to, yeah, but you know, what would really, what would really make a big difference when I know that's not the point of it. So, 
So once I figured that out, I think, you know, the emotional experience of actually doing the thing was generally one of relief. You know, I'm glad to have a reason not to do this thing, which I know is making my, uh, you know, as I said, not improving my internal weather and not really giving me anything valuable. So, so in that sense, yeah, it did, it did, uh, contribute to the emotions. I, the positive emotions I experience when I'm in the outdoors and the emotional reasons I value the outdoors. If I heard right, then, so when, when you're planning it, when you're on the phone, not phone, but uh, talking, see how old I am. <laughs> uh, when, when we were talking before, you were, uh, what, was it, what was it, relief? No, at first you were maybe anxious, maybe, but then relief. And then when you were in the moment, not scrolling, there was ex- greater experience of the outdoors. I mean, was it a significant difference or, or just a minor difference? I think so. I mean, it's hard to say because I was on vacation, so it was a radically different experience from my day to day already, you know, without the scrolling. But I think it, it helped me feel, it helped distinguish the experience for sure, mm-hmm. you know, because I wasn't as connected to my day to day life. To appreciate it more? Yeah. Is that- yeah, I would say I did. All right. Now, here's something that I'm going to pull out of my pocket. I think I think it's going to be big, but I'm not sure. You said that this was personal sustain. It was like personally sustainable. Yeah. Now I think that, and you also said internal weather. Yeah. So weather's not the same thing as climate. Mm-hmm. But I think I put to you: is there something more than just word connection here? That the sustainable, the sustainability that you felt personally, is it more connected with sustainable? sustainability in general, when we talk about climate and, and environmental sustainability, is there perhaps more connection there than you might've thought of at first? Maybe. Um, though I feel like my, my life is full of those kinds of words because I think about it all the time. So, um, so thinking of myself as, you know, a tiny ecosystem that needs to be sustained <laughs> is not an unfamiliar idea to me, but, um, but I think because, yeah, because I was trying to make the connection or thinking about the connection between this personal habit of mine and and my environmental citizenship, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think those words came even more quickly to mind. In my experience, you know, I don't think, I don't think I've sent you, you even read my book proposal, a book, but one of the big angles or views that I have is, is how much we're addicted to things that pollution brings mm. us. And I don't mean addicted in the abstract sense of America's uh, addicted to foreign oil, but addicted, you know, it's not in the DSM, but I think that someday in the way that we can be addicted to gambling, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a substance. It can be behavior. And I think increasingly our culture accepts this addiction because so many people are addicted and smartphones and scrolling is one of the places where I think that's also, I, I, that might even be in one of the uh, psychiatry books of like. I think it might be right now. Uh, yeah, I think it might be. So there's some social media addiction and the feeling of when we do things that we know pollute and yet we do them. Mm-hmm. I think there's often addiction in there. And that so i don't know for a lot of people um flying around or 
there's lots of things that people do. And inside there's something very similar that we either give in or resist that's like the feeling that we have with social media. Yes. And I think also the business forces behind these things, the industries, the investments, the debt and so forth, also something similar there driving um, with social media, the, you know, what it, I'm sure they have teams of people, some of the brightest minds of our, of our times trying to figure out like, where should the red dot be? Mm-hmm. How can we get them to just, Oh, I'm just going to check mm-hmm. my messages for a second, like four hours later, you know, <laughs> that's all crafted. And if it's for the travel industry, this it's the same thing. It's like, how do we get people to form bucket lists? How do we get people to crave going someplace? And I think it's, I think there's much more overlap there than most people are inclined to or open to see right away. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think those are, they're polluting industries, they're abusive industries as industries, but then also their mission involves getting us to, you know, consume more and not just buy, not just buy more phones or newer phones, but to, you know, click on the Instagram ad and, um, And then less directly, you know, by sort of encouraging our competitive tendencies and saying, oh, well, you know, if that person went on, went that far on vacation, I should go that far on vacation too, or I should get that dress or I should get that, you know, whatever your social circle happens to value. So yeah, there's a lot of ways in which I think it contributes to or furthers pollution. Yeah, I just don't see that effect, that type of marketing, that type of thing happening with broccoli, <laughs> with things that are wholesome and that we really want to keep doing. It's always with stuff that's, it, there's some big overlap that, I, you know, scientifically, mathematically, I don't know if there's a proof here, but it's for things like craving and overindulgence and addiction. It seems to happen with things that also pollute, also uh what's the word um, extract and exploit. It never seems to be with peanuts. Right. <laughs> or, you know, things that like, or, you know, if it's about Netflix will get, make shows that are de- designed for binging. Yeah. And I think they're engineered that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, I was watching people way back when people were like, Oh, you should really watch Breaking Bad. You'll love it. So I'm watching it. And I'm doing all this leadership work and I'm, I'm like watching the characters and trying to figure out their motivations. And they keep doing things that don't seem to fit with the character. They, and I don't know if this is what's actually happening, but I concluded that the writing was designed not to make the characters more human or for us to, to express. I think it was designed to make us watch the next episode. Mm-hmm. There's always a cliffhanger. There's always something that like, and I like to watch things that make me learn about myself, that make me learn and grow and make me discover what it means to be human or learn about the world. Those shows don't make me watch the next one. That one did. Yeah. And I think that's why I never watched Game of Thrones or House of Cards or any of those shows. I feel like they're engineered in the same way that the Facebook page is designed to keep you watching. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be fun when you knowingly sign up for it, but, um, or, you know, but sometimes even when you knowingly sign up for it, you sort of get helplessly pulled along by the narrative, um, and end up, you know, spending way more time than you would like to finding out what's going to happen at the end. 
Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm sure Big Broccoli would love to figure out how to addict <laughs> us to broccoli, but uh, <laughs> it might be a challenge that even exceeds our marketing geniuses. Yeah, although I really do love broccoli. That's actually changed. Yeah, when I first started avoiding doof and, and you know packaged food, I uh, like I used to love Ben and Jerry's. So there's been this whole shift of Ben and Jerry's is now cloyingly too sweet, and it's not it's not vegan. So I, but even if it were vegan, or I guess they probably have vegan versions. But that's like too sweet. Apples now taste sweeter than Ben and Jerry's used to. Mm-hmm. Broccoli now tastes sweeter than fruit used to. Hmm. So I've had this big shift of like, I don't want Hagen does anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's, it now feels like repulsive to me. And but broccoli, the florets aren't so sweet, but the the stalk is like I'm like it, I eat it like I used to eat apples. I'm like, this is really good. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how sweet it was before. Yeah, it is possible to change your uh, your own reward system, right? You know, you can or restore it. I, yeah, I suppose you right restore it. I suppose you can never get rid of cravings. You know, you can never get rid of cravings, period, but you can get rid of or can change what you crave. Or maybe Big Broccoli got their mitts into me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. It's a subliminal campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see what I was was thinking of here with your, in your case is it on the face, it was a minor thing, but I think it overlapped. I was curious if it, um, if it overlapped more with. Like I thought maybe your experience, and maybe you did say this, that your experience of, of going off of it would be, um, does it connect with the potential to go off other things that are bigger, mm-hmm. like have a bigger effect in terms of net you know, impact on the environment? But if it connects here, is there a connection to feeling like, oh, there's other things I can stop doing that, are, that would give me the same reward? Yeah, I think it does. Um, and I'm, but I think those things are more, they're all, um, sort of on a personal level and for the same reasons that I, I feel like I, I may be a little more settled than some of the people you talk to in terms of what I feel like I can do on a larger scale. And I just want to preserve the energy to keep doing that you know, what I can do on a larger scale for, for the environment writ large. And I just, yeah, I want to retain the, the energy and ability to do that. And so trying to keep my mind clear. And, and then I think just personal behavior in terms of um, having my larger scale work line up with my personal behavior. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge believer in, you know, I know that individual change, my individual change is not going to have a significant effect, but I do think it can have a, an emotional effect um, on me in terms of making me feel like I'm behaving more consistently with my values. And did the, how big of a, how hard was this? Um, oh, you already answered that. I think you said. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't too hard. But something I, but it was something I might not have done otherwise because it's easy to keep doing, right? You know, even though I didn't, I didn't consider it a, a particularly deep addiction, but mm-hmm. it's something I could have easily, you know, just kept doing. I'm not sure if it, if it would go one way or the other to give you energy or take energy from you. To not do it, it gave me energy, for sure. 
So, so is it possible? Okay. So you were talking earlier about, a, um, like a balance of what, of what you, you, what you do without depriving yourself too much or taking too much, if that's the right way to put it. So if this gives you energy, might other things give you more energy? Yeah. I think that's what I'm thinking. Right. That you might a priori think it'll take energy, but it'll actually give. Yeah. You know, things like exercise, getting outside, you know, physically getting outside more, those kinds of things, which I think, oh, well, you know, that might be, that might take away energy, take away time, uh, take away focus or what have you. Um, this kind of small change does give me confidence that those things will give, you know, give doing or giving up those things, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. um, can contribute to the larger work that I do such as it is. Yeah. That's for me, my path has been a path of, you know, I had this mindset shift followed by a, a set of continual improvements mm -hmm. so that when people hear me talking about being off the grid, they hear hard, but I hear fun mm -hmm. or challenge or growth and, and things that excite me. And that's one of the big, that's one of my main things. It's like, is I, I think people think, well, I, I got this balance. I, of course I want to do good for the world, but I got to live my mm -hmm. life. Right. And that's just not my situation anymore. It's, it brings me energy, brings me joy. It brings me fun and, and things like that to do more. Right. Now, of course. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. There is the trade-off, if any, is that it's hard to interact with society. Like I'm going against ingrained systems, but those are, that's what I want to change. Yeah. And right. I mean, it's, that's, that's where I think, you know, systemic change matters so much because then, then the friction between you and society goes away suddenly. Oh, suddenly, you know, I have the infrastructure for an electric car. Oh, suddenly, you know, all my friends have an electric car so that if we're making travel plans, we, you know, we're, we all understand the, the, you know, our vehicles have the same needs or what have you. Yeah. Being vegetarian in the nineties, sometimes you have to explain yourself at a restaurant. Sometimes I have to explain myself at a restaurant and they're like, ah, now it's like trivial. Mm -hmm. And someday lots of other things I think are, are going to be like that. Yeah. And I, I just want to get across like it's when you're in one culture, the other culture looks hard, but when you, once you shift to the other culture, it's natural. It's the interface with others. Like I, I'm constantly having to explain myself and things like that, but, and, and so people keep calling me extreme, but I don't feel like I'm extreme. I feel more traditional. Yeah. Because compared to the Hadza, I'm still polluting a lot. And that's what I'm <laughs> connecting with more. Yeah. Actually, how did, how, how did your experiences, did you interact with other, did this lead you to interact differently with other people? Were there any, did it affect relationships? I, you know, a little bit with my family, I think, because we were traveling together. But what, what you were just saying made me think of another example that of behavior changing relationships or shifting relationships slightly. And that was just the comparison between being in Vancouver versus being in the U.S. Pacific Northwest. And I, I live in the rural, in rural Washington state, but I often go to Portland, often go to Seattle. And those are, you know, famously green cities. But when you go to Vancouver, it's uh, even greener <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's and coming from 
Seattle, my experience in Seattle and Portland and being in Vancouver, there were just so many points where little frictions I was used to were gone. And, you know, again, I've never thought like when I get coffee, I carry my own mug, not because I believe that's going to change the world in and of itself, but it just feels better to do so. And, you know, perhaps that perhaps it changes the habits of that one coffee shop or whatever. Um, and, you know, I bike around again with the, with the hope that that increases the, you know, social pressure for bike lanes and so forth. But, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm used to those little frictions where the, where you go to the coffee shop and the, and the barista is like, you know, yeah, okay, we can use your, we can use your mug, but you know, we're going to have to fill a paper cup and then pour it into the mug. <laughs> you know, just these, these like, <laughs> which is, I'm sure store policy, no fault of their own. But in Vancouver, there was just a much stronger, a noticeably stronger culture of that sort of thing. Like, you know, recycling bins were everywhere. You go, you bring your, there was a cup charge at mm-hmm. all stores. So if you, and a bag charge. So if you brought your own cup, they would, and I would, you know, I found myself kind of apologetically saying, Oh, can you fill this? And they would look at me like, of course we can fill that. What are you talking <laughs> uh-huh. about? <laughs> and so it was a small, I think, shift in attitude. Again, we're, I mean, I was comparing like some pretty green cities to an even greener city, but I think a few policy, a few differences in policy had driven a pretty large difference in attitude that made my experience that changed a few things about my experience that actually made the overall experience of behaving in the way that I chose to much more pleasant, if that makes sense. That's exactly, it makes sense. It's like, that's what this podcast is about and why I'm not telling people, here's what you should do. Or, um, I mean, I think it's very important to change laws through democratic processes also to change hearts and minds. And to so that's why I try to get very influential, renowned people on the show so that they can get some role models of, so they can hear, oh, someone else is changing. Someone I know, someone I look up to, someone I, res- I honor or respect is, mm-hmm. is not just doing stuff because Josh told them to, but for their own mm-hmm. intrinsic reasons. They like it. Some, that's missing. I mean, I don't know many environmentalists who are trying to live sustainably. I mean, seriously trying to live sustainably. Yeah. So we, we could use some role models. I mean, even in, enjoying it. Right. Hence the intrinsic motivation. Yep. Enjoying it. And, and then, you know, as you say, discovering with time that it maybe starts out hard, but becomes less hard, you know, as your own habits change and society maybe shifts a little bit around you, policies change, your own circle, you know, is influenced by you and you are influenced by your circle. All these little things add up. And I think all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of things that become much easier. Yeah. And if in the middle of that, also, Josh gets Oprah on his podcast and Oprah shares what the environment means to her. And it's like, you know, I want to do X. That's not just a little thing happening here and there. No. Yeah. And I think you can have a big influencer say that and have a lot of influence, or you can have a lot of little influencers saying that, you know, if suddenly, just as I was talking about in Vancouver, like if suddenly everyone, you know, was biking to work, um, in part because it became so easy, then that's like, I would think that that was, that would be as effective in some ways as having someone you really, you know, a a famous person you really admire, but don't know, 
um, tell you that that's, you know, that that's what they're doing, that they think that's the right thing to be doing. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of professional. There's not an either or here, right? It's no, there's not an either or. I think they all they all are helpful, but I think there's a lot of professional environmentalists who just don't think it's possible. You know, this is a long time ago now, but I remember Al, Al Gore getting criticized for you know promoting spending all this time on airplanes promoting an inconvenient truth and and doing his climate reality work and you know and it was just like well you know if i want to have an international impact i have to travel internationally and and i think the pandemic has taught us well you know maybe you do sometimes but maybe not as much as you think um especially when other people are uh you know especially when the culture is shifting and and people are realizing that a lot of things can be done without getting on a plane now can i talk about being off the grid please <laughs> i have to at best, humble brag here. Yeah. Probably, probably more like brag. So on May 22nd, I had the the battery charged from the roof and decided to start going off the grid. Then I knew I'd go back on at some point. It was just an experiment. So somewhere on July 20th, January, July 21st, the battery broke. Maybe also the solar panel broke. And I thought, all right, that's close enough to the 22nd. I, I, so on the 22nd, of July at noon, that would be two months. <laughs> so I couldn't charge the battery. So I went, I, so I recorded a solo episode saying, well, I declared victory and moved on. Right. I, I said, I'm, I've made it two months. I didn't know how I'd make it even two days at the beginning. And after this, after I record, I'm going to go over and reconnect and, uh, and cook some stew and have lunch off the power grid. So I stop recording and I look over my counter and I see I got this big thing full of cabbage that's um, fermented into sauerkraut and some kale that's fermented into whatever kale kraut would be. And I think, well, I, I got another meal there. I don't have to plug back in just yet. Then I started thinking about when I played sports, there was this guy, I played ultimate frisbee. And in ultimate, there's a position where someone has a frisbee and someone's marking them. And the mark is like, you're trying to block them from throwing yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Usually people play and you put, you, you know, you try to block it somewhat, but one time this teammate of mine, Ben Usadi was just putting everything he had into it. Like mm -hmm. I've never seen someone so intent on blocking that throw and keeping the throw from getting off. Like he, at one point he was on the ground, maybe he dove or whatever. And he's like sticking his hand and feet up in the air. I'm like, I've never seen that. Like usually people just kind of give up at some point. He just would not give up. So I thought, how long can I keep this going? So today is August 5th. So since July 22nd, I've been going on zero power, not even solar. Oh, oh my gosh. Now I can, the cheat remains that I can plug in my computer and phone at NYU. Okay. I can't go there. I don't just go there and plug it in. I go there to work, but then like right now I'm at home and I just came from the NYU library where I was um, working on a story, but that's all I got. So I've been, I haven't been able to cook. I don't know if you can see, but like the beard is longer because I have this electric razor. And I can't, that's not part of the cheat. I'm not going to take that to NYU and shave there. I'm going to use the straight razor, huh? Well, <laughs> I don't shave with the razor because I'm, I'm on my last cartridge from like years ago. Uh -huh. And that's part of why I let the beard grow is because that wears out the cartridge much faster. It's to save, yeah. you know, keep that going longer. And I cannot believe, like this whole thing was, I couldn't believe I could make it more than two days using the solar panel and then going up and on the stairs all the time. And the next thing you know, I've gone like two, two and a half weeks, three weeks in, on nothing. 
just some, I'm like sprouting the beans, fermenting the beans so I can cook them. Cause I thought you had to cook them and eating all the salads instead of cooking stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe how long I'm making it. It's so no, no heated or cooked food. You're just eating. Yeah. It's all salads and cereal. And, uh, like I didn't realize, I, I realized a while ago that you could, um, still cut oats. Mm -hmm. My mom growing up, she was like, Oh, still cut oats are great, but they take so long to cook. So we don't have them that often mm -hmm. or just soak them overnight. Turns out the whole oats, you can do that too. Not the rolled oats, but the like whole grains, same with wheat yeah. and buckwheat. And so I'm having all these, cere like this has been this big revelation yeah. that I used to think, I used to think the cereal aisle in the supermarket, like that was normal. Yeah. And now I'm like, that's not normal. That's just what they made commonplace. And now I'm getting all these grains from the bulk section that I didn't, I, th I was like, I don't know what to do with Kamut. I don't know what to do with Faro. And now I'm eating them for breakfast. <laughs> and how are you refrigerating stuff? Fridge been off the fridge. I unplugged the fridge in September. So that's, so when I get stuff back from uh, the CSA, mm -hmm. right away, I have to think of like, okay, these things have to start fermenting right away. Cause I got to finish it in a week for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And then these things have to put in water. So like the celery is in the water because that the water keeps it fresh, even if it's not refrigerated. I see. Okay. And then the beets, uh, the beets I, I go into, they, they'll stay for a while, but the beet greens, I got to start um, fermenting right away. Mm -hmm. um, the beets I'll either, I put them in chutney. So they ferment with like a citrus fruit and they take a, a while to do, but like, I'm looking over there, um, but something like cauliflower, that's raw, but the leaves I'm testing. I'm just starting to ferment them to see what will happen with them. Cause I don't, I'm not going to throw any, let anything go. And I just have to like figure it out. And I looked up how to ferment beans and they're like, well, you can ferment them, but it's going to smell really bad. And I'm like, Oh, this smells pretty bad. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, totally. But, but the lentils I'm, I'm sprouting, I've sprouted, sprouted before, but I didn't realize now I'm kind of doing it more methodically before mm -hmm. it's just, could I do it? And one thing after another, it just keeps working. And that's great. Yeah. I, I can't, this is a great experience in life is when to, <laughs> is the following is to believe something is impossible and then to do it. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. And so I'm doing things. You were saying it's nice to like bring your own coffee cup. Maybe it'll have some effect on others. To me, living by my values is that's its own thing. Like whether it leads anyone else or not. Yeah. I'm going to do. So the issue of whether this is actually going to make a difference in the world is secondary for my own personal behavior of not secondary, but if, if there's something that pollutes and something that doesn't, that doesn't pollute, I'm going to do the non-polluting way. And I don't care if it, I mean, I do care if it affects others, but that's not my main criterion. Now, separately, there's leadership leading others. When I invite someone on the podcast, I want to, what's their renown? What's their influence? Mm -hmm. What's their, um, you know, that's, what's their leadership value? That's important there. Yeah. But in terms of making the, like these beans smell pretty bad. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to show that one off to others. <laughs> but you, that's where you, you talk about the importance of intrinsic motivation. And I think that's right. It's if you're doing something, some of your, efforts change might lead to things that are not pleasant, but the overall experience of learning how, you know, 
gradually over time, learning how to more and more live by your values has its own reward, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, there's that for me to do it. Now, now this, mm-hmm. this is such an, a huge example of, I would have thought impossible, that I also believe there's leadership value and I want to share it with the world and communicate. If you thought this was impossible, you can either think I'm lying to you, mm-hmm. you can disbelieve reality, or you might do what happened, what was inevitable for me, which was to examine the beliefs that led me to think it would be impossible and question those beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that maybe is where leadership can be really powerful is, um, is saying, you know, along, of course, with the right policy changes and incentives and so forth, but where, where somewhat, where a voice of experience and a voice of influence can say, it's not as hard as you think, you know, here is where, here is where your assumptions about the difficulty of this are not right. Yeah. I think even more than that is, I mean, to me, it's, Mm -hmm. if you think X is impossible and you only need one example of someone doing it, that is no longer impossible. Now people are going to say, oh, well, you have certain advantages that I don't, like you have an access to a farmer's market. I don't, well, that's what we want to change. Mm -hmm. So that it highlights that's where to change things and lots of other things. But uh, I mean, also I have to do a bit more research on this because I, at some point I stumbled onto something that said at what level of power uptime the U S power grid can have. Like right now we're at 99 point something percent uptime. Maybe Texas is a bit lower sometimes at a certain point when that goes down to, I don't know where it was 60%, 80%. I don't remember the number. I got to look this up. Then Solar and wind, which are still not renewable, they're still not green, they're still not clean, but they're a lot cleaner than fossil fuels, then you don't need the peaker plants anymore. And you can just go on intermittency. That is to say, if everyone can go something like a week without power, I don't know what it was, maybe a couple of days. See, I, I, can't, I can't cite my source, so I, I got to look it up. But if everyone can live with a certain amount of intermittency, then we, we can get by with an intermittent power source. Mm-hmm. And we can stop building nuclear. And why do we... Like hospitals, police stations. Okay, we got to solve that separately. But there's still 330 million Americans. That's a pretty big number. That if they could go without, if they could just like much of the world, if they find out the power is going to go down for a week, and they, they can do that. And why do people? Why can't people put the power down? Because I think the refrigerator is a big a big piece of it. And water in fridges. I think a lot of what's in fridges are people, they buy vegetables and they think, ah, now I'm going to be healthy. And then there's just vegetables, just, the vegetables just go bad and they're crisper. I don't know why it's called a crisper because stuff just goes, goes bad in there. Yeah. And the other thing is it's filled with these condiments that they bought once and they keep there. I've seen my parents' fridge. It's full of stuff that they bought years ago. And it's like some Dijon mayonnaise. And <laughs> because we need Dijon mayonnaise, that's why we need nuclear power. Yeah. Right. I think if we now the flip side of not having all these condiments in there is actually eating the vegetables and getting fresh vegetables. And it turns out fresh fruits and vegetables stay pretty good, even in like 90 degree weather. They don't go bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got to know what to put in the water and, and it's but the frozen pizza goes bad pretty quick. Right. Fresh food is easier to keep. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think now it is the system. There's definitely, I only have to walk, I don't even have to cross the street to get packaged doof. Mm-hmm. But 
I have to walk a bit farther to get farmer's market stuff. Mm -hmm. How do we influence I mean, so we want more farmer's markets everywhere. This is, if it, this is the direction to go in, I think. Not, something like a quarter to a third of Americans have two fridges or households have two fridges. Yeah. It increased during the pandemic and people are thinking that's normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, I hope to be an example of. So how long, how long are you going to, yeah. Okay. So today's day 75 and uh -huh. my, my next. And no power since June. May 22nd. But no, no solar at all since when? Oh, that was, uh, yeah, it was July 20th. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around there. Uh, 21st, 22nd. And I am looking forward. So the the new battery is coming soon. Mm -hmm. they're, they're replacing it. So uh, they sent they sent me an email today that like to check FedEx or whatever to find out when it'll arrive. Now it's possible the solar panel is also broken. I know one. I the, I know it wasn't charging. Was it only the battery or both the battery? I don't know what happened. Was there a surge or I don't know. So if it works, then I'll have my first stew in a while. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, I have to think about it because. On the seventh, we'll end in two days. We'll end this current billing cycle. Usually, it takes a couple more days to get the bill, and I'd like to get the zero kilowatt hour electric bill. And will I try to keep going from there? Last night was pretty warm, and it would have been nice to have a fan on. <laughs> so, but once it gets to cooler weather, I don't know. I'm taking it day by day. I'm thinking about Benji, my old teammate. Just whatever it takes. Don't never give up. And Mm -hmm. I don't know because <laughs> it'll be day 77 and it's hard not to think of a hundred because that's pretty, that's a, like a nice round number and like a nice fraction of a year. So I, I don't know. I'm so into this. Right. It's like, uh, I feel like, I mean, I'm not a parent. I don't know what yeah. it's like to be a parent, but I feel like watching your kid just achieve more and, and like, can't wait to see mm -hmm. what comes next. But yeah, that's exciting. And and when you do go back to what most people would consider a Spartan life lifestyle, it will seem luxurious. Like your stew will seem. Yeah, definitely. Again, the right. the best thing ever. Yeah, when I I was thinking about that about how when I get the battery, assuming it works, so I'm going to be happily going up eleven flights. And if it's char start charging, I'm going to be like, oh, this is great. I'm going to have my first stew, and and still not using power from the grid. When I do start using power from the grid. I don't know. I mean, it'll be so easy and so indulgent and also so polluting. Mm -hmm. And it'll still be like a, like 90 cents for the month, you know, cause I'll still be, even if I go yeah. back, even if I reconnect, I'll still be going up and down sometimes, just not as much. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to come next. Yeah. It'll be interesting uh, to, to see how it feels. I mean, after, coming back on the grid after living off it for years. Um, there were certain conveniences I really appreciated mm -hmm. and, but not as many as I thought there would be. And I did miss that feeling of the, you know, just the, just the, as you would say, intrinsic reward of living off the grid of in energy independence. I'm really glad you share with me so much last time because you're the only person I've spoken to. I know that lots of people have lived off the grid, but I haven't talked to them. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I recommend it. So, and I'm glad to know that it's possible to do it in Manhattan. Yeah, it's 
I, I'm totally in uncharted, uncharted territory here. We'll see what comes. I, I don't know. I mean, today's day 75, which is, which is to say 73 days farther than I expected. Uh-huh. And you're doing it as a pioneer, right? Like there, if, if there were a few, a few innovations, a few changes in policy it would make it much, much easier, yes. right? Oh, yes. So um, I'm on day 75, which is 73 days longer than I expected. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's going to come next. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I hope, what I hope, I do hope in the long run that there's policy changes that come from it. But what in the short run, I hope that when the story gets out, there's a few people who say, you can do that? I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it won't take many people to say, you know, maybe a couple of people in every city to be like, oh, if you can do it in New York, I can do it here. Mm-hmm. And some people will be like, okay, I'll, I'll make it a week. I'll make it a month. I'll make it three months or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that could be some serious change. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause then, you know, those people would get some attention because what they're doing is unusual. And then, you know, perhaps word spreads and, you know, it, it's sort of, it creates a bit of a feedback loop where public demand is driving policy changes and policy changes are leading to more public demand because they're taking away some of the early barriers. So, um, yeah. You're onto my fun little project. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you great luck and, uh, hope it becomes a movement. Thank you. And, uh, well, let's wrap up there. Is there anything I didn't think to ask to, to bring up before closing or any messages to the listeners? No. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Michelle Nyhouse, thank you very much. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate.